something they really hit on when I was in um, Cumberland Heights. They, I don't ask for help. I never did. And I think it's, and this is something I've just come to um, and I've been talking about with the, my therapist is that I don't think I got any help. My mother may have caught him doing something, but what help did I get? Welcome to the Together Sober Podcast. I am your host, Louise Barnett, former Fortune 100 Global Sales Director turned Jay Shetty Accredited Life Coach. Each week, we will provide you a safe space of guidance, empathy, accountability, and support, helping you to find effortless sobriety and mental peace. Before we get started, you guys, please, please, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, like this episode, and rate and review the Together Sober podcast. This is actually the only way that we can grow organically to start impacting more and more lives to find lasting sobriety and mental peace. Welcome back to the Together Sober podcast, where our mission is to create survival guides out of our collective stories. And I have to say that this individual that is sharing her story today is somebody that actually holds a really special place in my sobriety story and my recovery. Early in my recovery days, I I kind of made my myself known in some of the online sobriety groups and Facebook communities and would share some of my story here and there and really became an active participant in many of these communities which is of course what inspired the Together Sober Facebook community as well. But this individual in particular was somebody and is somebody that I really truly describe as just a beacon of light. And anytime that I felt that I was putting myself in a vulnerable position or sharing a piece of my story, she just would come out of the floodgates with just love, compassion, empathy, and just exudes through her commentary and everything within those groups. So I'm, I'm really grateful to, you know, really what she brought to my own recovery and my own journey. And so I couldn't be more grateful to her to be willing so graciously with her time and her energy today to come onto the podcast to share her story and share her experience with her addiction and her recovery story as well. So I am talking about none other than Vicki Davenport. Vicki is 62 years old. She's a self-declared army brat and the other uh, and the mother of two incredibly smart girls. Vicki began drinking at age 14. Sex followed thereafter. She did well in school and made it through college, getting a job as a middle school art teacher, which lasted for 30 years. She began recovery in May of 2017. No relapse. She began with a first step program. What this is, is 15 days inpatient, followed by six weeks of IOP, also known as intensive outpatient and over the past five years, many good things have come to Vicki. On January 25th, 2022, Vicki asked her only remaining relative, her uncle, if there was anything disturbing on that side of her family. Well, as it turned out in this research and discovery, Vicki's mother caught Vicki's grandfather doing something to her. 
it was the mid 1960s when this happened to Vicky. And to date, Vicky has no memory of it yet. Vicky is still searching for herself. She knows that she's in there somewhere. While she processes that work, Vicky loves to share with others who have questions about sobriety. She truly is such a giving soul. And I am so grateful to welcome you to the podcast today, Vicky. Welcome to Together Sober Podcast. Thank you, Louise. Thank you. Okay. You so, uh -huh. No, I just gonna say you're so welcome. We're excited no. to, to hear your story and hear what you have to share yeah. today. I wish my sixth graders for 30 years could see this because they always said, oh, tell more stories. Okay, so briefly, she kind of hit on uh, the early points, the beginning. I was born in 1960 in Tennessee to two very hardworking people that apparently got away from where they were, but I don't think they were trying to get away. We always had strong family. Um, daddy went military straight out of college and um, from the age of five or six, five and a half, six, um, we moved every 18 months until I was 14 years old. And I didn't realize it then and neither did the military for that matter, um, that those are some prime years when maybe we don't need to be uprooted every 18 months. Um, so, um, but I made friends, um, most army brats do. We <laughs> have a tendency to pick up and move and make new friends pretty quick. Um, but I do remember telling my father, I said, I don't like meeting new people. Um, and I didn't know why, because to meet me, you wouldn't <laughs> No, nothing. No, she's fine. Anyway, um, I, I, I really just, um, I made it through college. Um, I call myself high functioning. Um, I, uh, extremely high functioning because I never did the blue light parade with the silver bracelets. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't stop until I got medical news saying that, that I would, I was not going to be well <laughs> if I kept on, I had a real high liver count and I just, I'd been an athlete all my life and exercise was important. And so I decided to make that commitment to quit. And I already knew I needed to because it was, there was no any more compromise. There were no deal making anymore with myself. The demon was full out in control. Um, so I went to our local place here, um, not too far from me. It's called Cumberland Heights, um, based out of Nashville. Um, they're awesome. The chef there is five stars. I have to mention that. Um, and that was hard. But um, I learned to meditate there. And um, the guy that did it, I think he still owns a studio in Nashville, but he introduced us to um, Headspace and Andy put a mm. cone. And I just, I fell in love with the British accent. I ha have to admit it. But <laughs> I also went and watched his TED Talks and, and got his whole story. Cause I said, there's a story there. Yeah. And I like the way he teaches meditation. I really try to steer people towards Headspace because it's the number one, what we were talking about, um, people say, but my mind won't be quiet. I said, that's the point. Yeah. And it's just little baby steps and um, he's gentle about it. And so um, after that, um, I came home. I think I quickly realized um, because I couldn't even make a bargain with myself to just drink on weekends. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got clean, 
I said, I, I can't afford to relapse. My mentality is that if I relapse, I know that door is always open. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be a jar. The demon's always going to have one fingernail sticking out, clawing the wood going. Yeah. It's so that all to, or nothing thinking, right? And I think I a lot of us have that all or nothing mentality. And so while some people, you know, and hats off kudos to them to, to maybe yeah. have those conversations with themselves, but I know like you and me, it's, it's all or nothing. Like it's all or nothing. there's no, in, no. in that sense, there's no gray area. <laughs> no. And I'm not looking for a pill or something to make it better. In fact, I just found this wonderful, they call it the I don't know, fizzy reindeer drink. And it's absolutely love, lovely till you get to the middle and it says vodka. And I said, <gasps> no. I said, this is good without vodka. I said, I can tell. <laughs> I said, I'm making it without the vodka. <laughs> but I said, it's so good. But um, I'm not looking, you know, I'm really not one for the, I mean, I love a mocktail just to be festive, but I'm not needing it. I don't have a hard time being around people that are drinking. Um, not a trigger for me, mm -hmm. um, the loud noises, buddy, Oof. Mm. Um, those sorts of things. Anyway, um, I, uh, like you mentioned, I found out I was uh, sexually, I'm going to just say assaulted uh, because whatever it was, it wasn't good. Um, and I, I, I kind of have a feeling that there was loud noise involved mm -hmm. um, because where did that come from? Where did that hypervigilance come from? Mm -hmm. um, I have an extreme shame um, meter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and it's funny, I can look, my therapist hates it when I say I'm, it's funny before I say something because it's, it's a, a form of me laughing it off. <laughs> but yeah, that's depends, what yeah. I had to do. That's how I had a chat. Happy child. <laughs> um, but um, I'll lose it if I, if I wander too much. Um, anyway, I, I'm going to call it assault and just stay there with it. And um, so I decided I needed to start working even more um, throughout the pandemic. I was lax when the groups hit the internet. Um, I found the one site and um, what I found I loved most. I don't, I don't care for Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. um, but I loved waking up in the morning and I got into this ritual of, of a book and I would get up in the morning, I'd meditate, I'd check Facebook and I'd always check this website and reach out to people that had said something overnight. That's yep. how I found you. <laughs> That's how we found each other. <laughs> That's how I found you. And that was my thing. It's been my thing for the last couple of years. And, and my friend Susan, she got in, she got so involved with it. She's got a sub subgroup, the light catchers and all this and that. And I'm going, you retired and you didn't slow down. Yeah. Susan. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, so I've spent this last year reading and doing a, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but self-help. And um, I do have a therapist. In fact, that it was funny. As soon as I got out of um, uh, Cumberland Heights and my husband and I got home, I um, I got on the phone with my insurance actually I got on the phone with local therapist in town and found out really fast that those aren't easy to come by 
and um, called my insurance people. And she said, well, we can get you in with this one in three months. I said, I need a therapist now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but it was probably the first time I'd ever said, I need some freaking help and I don't need it in three months. You actually advocated for yourself. It's, it did. it's, it's and especially now, even post COVID, you know, the medical field has such a lack of help right now. And I, I feel for both sides of it, right? Because for the people who need the help, I obviously feel for that side. Then I also feel for the providers where there's just a lack of help, but the only way that you will get the help that you need is to advocate for yourself. Well, you know, it was really odd because I was in for an eye visit and the eye doctor, I was telling her that I'd had, I have skin cancer. Mm-hmm. I come from one side of the family's all redheads and and I had an eye cancer that had to be mosed off. And, and she said, she was looking and she said, yeah, and you've got um, cataracts. And I said, ah, no wonder rainy nights don't do well with me in a car. Um, and she, something I had said to her, she said that, and this went back to the body keeps the score is that our body, it's like my, she said, your body's attacking itself. And mm-hmm. I said, autoimmune. I said, and I, and then it got me to think, and I thought, you know, the way the doctors are here, it's like they treat one issue at a time. I said, I'm a whole pie. Yes. I've got blueberries and strawberries and blackberries. And yes. You know, I'm a pie. And, and it's just, it's like, I'm, I'm so fed up with the medical thing, you know, and I think that's such a great point that you make, like, you're not just, you know, one symptom, right. You are a whole being. And I think I love that analogy when it comes to sobriety and that recovery journey, because when I see individuals focusing solely on the alcohol or focusing just on getting sober, right. Which Yes, we all agree that's an incredibly important piece of the puzzle, right? But there's so much more to that. And what you can't see right now in Vicky's living room is to her left-hand side is a stack of, I think, at least 10 or 12 books yeah. that she's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't you under them. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm so in, intrigued because, Vicky, you've had a lifetime of addiction and consumption and I want to dive into a little bit of the work that you've done since your sobriety. You mentioned there has not been relapse for you. Can you share, you know, in addition to the meditation practice, what are some of the things that you've done that have proven to be successful for yourself? Well, you know, it, it, I had a thing I did, um, you know, of course, I came up in the time when aerobics was introduced. And so I was like on the front line with Jane Fonda. Um, in the beginning. And so I've done, I've gone through all of the, the, the exercise movements and um, I finally found one that I absolutely loved. I mean, I've been a runner, I've been a walker, I've, I've done step, I've done slide, I've done swimming. I've, I mean, I've done it. I've not done Zumba. I, just, I'm, I don't know why I have not done Zumba. the line at Zumba. Yeah, I'm, I don't know why. It's sort of like there's some movies everybody raves about said so I'm not watching it. why I just get the feeling but um I our local YMCA here in town has a hill that's about I don't know 150 yards long it's about 30 30 degrees so it's a nice little incline so I got to the point 
at first I ran up that hill. In mm -hmm. fact, I tore my hamstring on that hill, sprinting mm -hmm. up it like an idiot. Um, but I loved the hill because, and I, this is something new that I've just found out about myself that I think must be important, um, is that I love wide open spaces. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mind getting in my car and driving across the interstate out to where Springfield is and it's just rolling farmland. Mm. It's, if I could get up in the mountains and, and I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be there. <laughs> we don't have the greatest mountain. We only get to 6,000 feet. So that's, to me, that's not quite mountain yet. Yeah, not quite. Not, not Colorado quite. styles. Yeah, not when you've been to the Wind River Range and been up in the, the, the Alpine zone. This is, we don't have mountains. Uh, but um so exercise was big, but I, I came up with this thing called skip dancing mm. um, because I got on, you know, I've been athletic all my life. I understand the body. And I, I know when I've done too much or done too little and I watch other women do it. And it's like, what are you doing? Because, you, you know, as you get older, you know, but of course I didn't know when I was younger either, but yeah. I've exercised forever and done something always because I think it was the endorphins. I, I think mm -hmm. that really got me. Luckily I was my dad was one of those dads that said, I'll bet I can do this and you can't. And mm -hmm. we were just gullible to say, oh, y'all can. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that, and then um, I went to meetings regularly okay. um, from the minute I did the 90 and 90. Um, yeah. I, I love our home, my home group. Um, but when the pandemic hit, you know, just like across America, we had the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. And it was sort yeah. of like, you know, I've never done the flu shot because I've, I've taught middle school for 30 years and never had the flu. Mm -hmm. So I may be one of those people that don't get it. Yeah. So I finally made my doctor happy and let him give me the flu shot. It's like, oh my gosh, because I know he's putting a little check in there. Client decline shot. <laughs> shot it makes it sound horrible, but it's like nobody on that side of my family has the flu. And I said, I may be, I haven't had COVID. Mm. And so it's like, but I got the vax. I want to be a part of the tribe, do my part. And so, but um, anyway, so I quit going to meetings mm -hmm. for quite a while. And I am just now even starting to get back into it because the one of the sites that I went to in the morning, you know, is, has decided to stop and I'll miss those people. There were some real cases there that I enjoyed working with. Yeah. <laughs> in my that was a special group. It was. Yeah. Yeah, there were people I knew without ever having met, you know, mm -hmm. and that's okay with army brats because, you know, it's, we always, we, when we meet each other and it's like, oh, wow, small world. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what I'm hearing there is the, the power of community, right? And yes. we know that the opposite of addiction is community. I wholeheartedly believe with that, in that statement. And I think that's one of the amazing things that came out of, COVID and then the sobriety culture kind of adjusting and adapting was that we discovered that we can still create these connections. Right. Um, and arguably sometimes on a deeper level right. uh, without necessarily having that in person. And I, I love it because I, I believe so strongly that there's no such thing as too many resources. And I believe that we're all different and have different needs. So now, you know, maybe for individuals that maybe never felt comfortable going in person, now right. there's options, right? There's, right. there's solutions. There's, you know, well, there, so was a, there was really a hole in the market. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, in, in, you know, in whatever market we want to call it, it was, you know, it was a hole that could mm -hmm. help me. And, yeah. and then everybody jumped right in. Yeah. And I, I was just so impressed that that happened because um, it was funny. I did not, I wasn't looking for sober groups online when the, mm -hmm. when the, the, uh, my home group shut down and I just wasn't, I was comfortable. I was at two years at that point. And I was really, I had, you know, I'd gone through that amazing phase. I'd gotten off blood pressure medicine. I mean, my uh, liver numbers went down. I was as healthy as healthy got. Mm -hmm. And um, then I kept getting old. I don't know what happened, um, <laughs> but, but um, I just, I, um, I lost my thought. Ah, I hate when I do that. That's why I have my notes. I think the transition from going from oh. like these home groups into the more social media world. Well, I wasn't looking for a group. And it was funny because um, one day a professor of mine in photography, she, I had gone back and taken classes once since I'd gone back. I said, hey, I can go take classes at college. I'm retired. I'm sober. Here I come. And I said, I like, I like a classroom setting. Um, I just, I like that formality and there's reasons for that too, <laughs> but um, it turned out my professor one day, um, I, years and years ago when I was actually in school, um, I used to clean house uh, to make college money and um, we also became friends. And so when I took the class again, I was over at her house one day and we were talking and she goes, I got to ask you something. And I said, what? And she said, why do you seem so calm? And I said, oh, I said, we better go upstairs and sit down. <laughs> and we talked for three hours and I, I told her what I'd done. And it turned out that she must have sensed it because she was having troubles too. She'd hit a point and yeah. um, she went on to find the the luckiest and and became a hardcore member and opened up a subgroup and just stayed busy with that and it, it was funny because um I was I it, it was so funny because I had gotten myself sober and then she came to me and, and I have not been ready to um sponsor anyone mm -hmm. I I'm I'm afraid of people needing too much mm -hmm. still um, why do you think that's a fear that you have I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think they'll, I think because I never asked for help mm -hmm. and it was something they really hit on when I was in um, Cumberland Heights, they, I don't ask for help. I never did. And I think it's, and, and this is something I've just come to. Um, and I've been talking about with the, my therapist is that I don't think I got any help. Mm -hmm. My mother may have caught him doing something, but what help did I get? Yeah. She wouldn't let him babysit anymore, but I have to give, I have to cut a buy there. And of course I hear the word minimize, minimize, minimize. I don't think so. I think we have to look at the culture and the times of Clarksville, Tennessee, mid 1960s. Mm -hmm. I think there was a big picture. There's certainly, where were you going to go? Right. There's, there's behavior that's inexcusable that happened. Right. But, who but are I you think you're smart to look at the big picture as I have well. To. I have a question. What prompted you to go to your uncle to ask the question? Like, what was kind of going on in your mind at that time? Ever since I was little, um, 
I, I, I did not, my grandfather had a tendency to, to get us on his lap and, and he'd say, give me some ear and he'd nuzzle and, and, and nibble on your ear. And I do not remember anything happening sitting on his lap, but for some reason, I really became, even as a kid, I remember feeling, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand at the time, nothing was said, nothing, you know, nothing. We still had family holidays, blah, blah, blah. And um, it was, I always had this feeling like my uncle that I finally called, he is about 10 years older than me, I guess, 12 years older than me, but he was much younger than he was four or five years younger than his, my mom. Mm-hmm. And she was the middle one. And he left home as soon as he could leave home. In 1968 or, or 1965, I don't know. He was, we were living there and he wasn't there. His room was there, but he wasn't there. And I always thought it was strange right. yeah. that he didn't keep in touch with the family. And so I, my mother and I became these close friends that would have these great long drawn out wine conversations where we mm-hmm. solved the whole problems of the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and um I would always mention it to her and it never dawned on me at the time. I thought we just kept on talking and she addressed it, but I don't think she ever did. But I told her, I said, what was going on with Lynn? Why doesn't he ever get back to the family? I said, why has he not kept in touch? Mm-hmm. I said, I said, what's the deal? I said, something's going on. I said, something happened between him and Paul. Yeah. And so finally, between therapy and being sober and, and just, um, I hadn't even started reading a lot of books yet. Um, in fact, none. Um, I just, I decided to call him. He's the last one still alive. My grandparents aren't alive. My parents aren't alive. My aunt's not alive. My cousin doesn't know anything. I don't know what my brother and sister know. I don't think they know anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, I lost it again. Um, Decided to go to your uncle. Yeah. So I called him and I said, Lynn, I said, what was the deal? I said, what was wrong? What was weird? What was going on in the family that you shot out of there like a bullet? I said, as soon as you were out of high school, you were gone to the Air Force. And he said, he said nothing. He said, I just, I I needed to go. I, I need to get out. And I said, I said, well, was there any... I said, did Pa ever sexual, I just got blunt with him. I said, did Pa sexually molest you? And he said, huh, you're the second person to ask me that. And I looked, I mean, I looked at my phone and I said, what do you mean? He he said, first off, the answer is no. And he said, I said, who was the other person? And he said, your mom. And I said, when did she ask? And he said, one day when I came home and y'all were out at the pool and we were in the kitchen and I said, what did she ask? And she goes, she asked me if Pa ever did anything to me. And I told her no. And then he asked her, why do you ask? (laughs) And she said, because she caught Pa doing something to me. Mm -hmm. And I can remember I was sitting in my car talking on the phone with him. I mean, not talking, we were texting actually. By that time we may have picked up the phone, but I remember just being, um, no emotion. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, it wasn't like I, my, the pit of my stomach dropped, nothing. It was sort of like, I always knew it was something, but I always thought it was Lynn. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was me. And I also had this recurring, 
memory in my head of a, and it's, it's in black and white and it's this hallway and there's a wooden floor and it's raining outside and you can see the rain through the window on the wall inside. You can mm -hmm. see it coming down through on the, in the shadow form. Um, but I can hear hard heels on the floor and, and I can remember being in the back bedroom in this dream memory, whatever it is. And, and just utter fear, utter fear, but it was dark. And that bedroom was not dark. Um, in fact, my, when I asked my therapist last week, I said, I had just finished reading the untethered soul. And I said, you don't by any chance have any book recommendations before I go out there and hop into Pima or something. Yeah. You know? And um, she said, well, I do, but I'm a little hesitant. Um, it's like when I first found out she um, and I and I I started to look at different therapies you could do to bring memories forth. Yeah. She is not a, a hypnosis DMR or any of those. Yeah, she's really not an advocate for that because she said those memories will come when they're when your body can handle it. And so mm -hmm. by that time I was I started out, I went to the bookstore and I and I thought I'm into monks. I'm into meditation. I'm my favorite quitlet book was. Um, Bill Buddha and we 12 steps, 12 steps on the path of Buddha. And it's awesome because this author is Laura S. And she said, I couldn't call my higher power God, God, God in the beginning. She said, I called him HP or honey pie. And yeah. anyway, but it was interesting. It's a beautiful little book. It's no bigger than this. And it's a wonderful little book, but I was into that mindset. I think that mindset, that Eastern philosophy is very beneficial for trauma. Yeah, um, because there's a quietness to it and it's there's a quietness to I mean, people throw around yin and yang all the time, but there's good and there's bad and there's always going to be good and bad, because if you didn't have one, you wouldn't even know what the other was, blah, blah, blah. But in fact, I just saw a movie the other day and the little girl and I don't even know what the movie was, but the little girl said she was asking the guy an old gruff character. She said, but God is good, isn't he? And he's, he looked at her and kind of, huh, God is fair. And I love that because I think my, where I am now is that we are really truly stardust and we are all one big ball of God. Mm. And some of us, some parts of God are better than others. And, but it all evens out in yeah. that yin and yang in that balance that keeps the circle going. Okay, that's enough. Message. That's so beautiful. It, you know, I, I love to hear you say, or your therapist said, um, you know, your, your body's not ready to receive that trauma yet. Yeah. And I think that's really important because so many of us, myself included, uh, in early days of recovery, in, in recovery, there's a piece of us that really wants to search for that truth. Yeah. and search for, you know, quote unquote, what happened. Yeah. And um, I score kind of off the charts for PTSD whenever I take the assessments and everything like that. And I have some questions that are answered and I have a lot that aren't answered. Yeah. And it's really kind of encouraging to hear that, like your body's not ready yet. Your mind's not ready yet. So I made the choice to um, 
I do neurofeedback on a week on a weekly basis, which um, is interesting because it's like yeah. it's a much more Western philosophy, but like it's it's accomplishing the same thing as oh, Eastern, which is to calm the mind, yeah. right? Because my minds, our minds are in fight or flight constantly if we are victims of trauma. And um, so that's the decision that I made for me because I felt it would serve me best knowing that I was not ready to receive some of these truths. Will I seek some EDMR treatment in the future? Maybe. Will you maybe seek some 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 therapy that could bring some of these memories out? Maybe, maybe not, right? You might right. have what you need. So I just think it's really important that we open up our minds that again, there's, we don't need all the answers. We can still accomplish peace within our own hearts and our own minds in right. other ways. Right. So thank um, you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, I just think there's more to our life. And I just think that that's something that, um, the way our life is, and I'm a firm believer that our lives changed irrevocably once the industrial revolution mm -hmm. and electricity came mm -hmm. because people went to bed with the dark and woke up with the sun and we don't do that now we run 24 mm -hmm. 7 yeah. and i'm sorry i know the research on sleep deprivation people work in 40 and 60 and 80 hours a week come on yeah they're not healthy but yet they're out there making decisions and in fact when i first got sober um there was a an npr um article that came out and it was uh about it was a a new york times one of an editor and he had gotten sober and he said he goes i've done some research he said if all the high functioning alcoholics quit their jobs today the world will come to a screeching halt <laughs> and it's kind of sad you know just when i was getting sober the mommy painting thing and mommy yoga and i'm going oh, god with wine and i'm going but why you're missing yeah. the point yeah. i have a thing about truth and it's funny because i've always had that oh that's another thing when i got sober my empathy radar went off the chart um in fact i have this just huge memory of this sitting next to my sponsor at a meeting and this woman walked in didn't know her from jack and I just felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I looked at my sponsor and I said under my breath, I said, is it me or is it her? Because we're taught to always, if something about somebody's bugging you, check yourself first. Check yourself first, 100%. Yourself first. If you don't right. like what you just heard, check yourself first. That's right. <laughs> and then release and relax. <laughs> relax and release. <laughs> I'm going to put it all together one of these days. <laughs> Don't reply in the comments so quickly. Check yourself first. And see, that's the beauty of, of back then when we only got news at six o'clock in the <laughs> evening was you had to think about it 24 hours before you, or you had to go get your hair cut and talk about it at the grocery store or whatever. Yeah. You know, you didn't get to just spout off to a billion people. Your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And be validated by another million. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway. I have one more question for you about your experience in uncovering the trauma of the sexual assault. So you received this information from your uncle. What did you do next? Like, did you know you needed to seek any guidance? What, what were kind of your steps to help you process the little information that you had? 
Um, I've been dealing with something, you know, when I first got sober, I immediately realized that I wasn't focusing. And so I went the ADHD route. I'm, I'm now off that. Um, um, but the good news on that was that it could help um, rebuild neurons in the frontal cortex, which is awesome. So yeah. <laughs> when you go off of it and you've rebuilt some pathways. So um, I am still on Zoloft, but that is because apparently my body didn't even know what normal was. The, the doctor and the pharmacist both said, it'll be about two weeks before you get some relief for, from this. I said, and I mean, I sent a note to my doctor the next day within 24 hours I said, this must be what normal is. I th that's how off my serotonin was. Oh my gosh. But, and, and I could wean off of it now, but Dr. Gorman, and she says, my therapist says, she just says, it's working. Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I said, not, and especially right now, I don't think is probably a good time to do that because she did warn me that with memories coming back from trauma, that you need that support. a period depression follows. Mm -hmm. And I've been kind of, eh, kind of feeling weird. So um, I'm going to read a little Mark Twain till Christmas time, but because uh, I've got to, I'm, I'm into this courage to heal and she's serious. Yeah. This, this, this book's some serious work. Um, I've got to learn to do stream of conscious writing better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, You're such so a testament to, you know, five years into sobriety and like you are walking the walk and talking the talk. I mean, yeah. the amount of information that you're feeding yourself, you're showing up to therapy, you're showing up to meetings, you're, you're in an act of service with the, you know, comments and the relationships that you're building in the social communities. Like you guys listening, this is, this is what recovery is. It is a, right. you know, in addition to your full-time job, it is a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> it's not where you just avoid your old playgrounds and friends and yeah. and be miserable sitting alone at your home yeah. i mean i learned to make jewelry um uh, because yeah i really am adhd and i don't go into any meeting or anything without a pen and a yeah. piece of paper nearby because i doodle i mean my hands have just got to be in action it. i um, love it oh my gosh well i know we could talk all day but i'm so grateful for the time that we've had together so far i, I want to ask you one last question it's a question that i ask a lot of our podcast guests and i'm really excited to hear your response so my question to you is vicky if if you could come up with a rule or a law hypothetical so we're going to just assume that people are going to follow it and it's going to be implemented into our world and any law about addiction, recovery, trauma healing, if you could instill that rule or law, what would that be? Oh, I love this question. This is, in fact, it's a delightful question because <laughs> um, I think before I got sober, I would have told you just exactly what laws needed to be made for everybody. But now I think I've come to a point in my humanity that if I were to make a law for everybody, that would assume that I know best for everyone. And so um, I don't, I, I hardly, I mean, look at me. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasted a good, port. Well, I didn't waste it. Um, I, I misused or I, I, I stumbled through a large portion of my life. So I don't know how best I could have served, but I, I will say this, um, I believe very strongly that everyone, down to a five-year-old should have access to therapy because it's different to talk to someone who is not your friend 
your significant other, your, your relative, it's different. I know because I had all those conversations with my mother and she sit there knowing what she knew. I even told her once I needed help. And she said, no, no, you don't. I was 30 then. But so I would, I just wish that it's different. I wish everybody had some way, every job, every workplace had somebody they could go and talk to and just, it doesn't have to be a, I have to see you every day type of thing. That's when they need to get some more serious help, but just there and just to talk to somebody who is not that person, or maybe they stop by and do, I don't know. Um, but I think it's important. I really think therapy is important. I think meditation way important. Um, I think if you're in addiction now, um, seek help. That's what the doctor that I didn't like hearing those words. Um, but um, there's so many tools out there now that you're not alone and you don't have to sit on your couch alone. You can meet fabulous people like Louise. And, <laughs> you know, um, and you can get your life back. I love that, Vicki. It's so true. And you made a point, which I think is really important. You said if you're in addiction or if you're currently drinking right now, the beautiful thing about therapy is that you go in with really no clear objectives, with no specific goal necessarily. Um, I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. And the therapist that I ended up seeing when I ended up finding my sobriety, I went to her because I wanted to talk about relationship issues. You know, I, I had no awareness on my radar that alcohol okay. was even an issue. And right. that's the beauty of it is that it can just twist and turn and snowball into change that you never thought imaginable. Yes. So I wholeheartedly agree with you, Vicki, and um, hopefully our, our system will work to, to make these resources available, you know, across the board to everybody at an affordable price. Right. Um, and in the meantime, don't feel discouraged. This is why we have groups available, AA, Together Sober Facebook group. I mean, any of these groups available to you, smart meetings, there's just so many resources out there. So don't let that inhibit you from just making a connection. That's really all it is, is making a connection to begin with. It is. Can I just really throw yeah. in that I, I know a lot of people, especially with the advent of the online stuff, they, a lot of, I've listened to a lot of people I always keep, hold my tongue, but they poo-poo on AA and there's something about, they, they, there's a lot of excuses, but those people are in pain too. And they are from every level of society. I said, just go in, take a journal and write the things that strike a chord with you, make notes of names. I said, keep that journal and go 90 for 90, do it because you will find some benefit and you will begin to feel a part of the family. Uh, they're going to come your, they're going to become your real life yep. outdoor family. Yep. Vicki, if people wanted to reach out to you or find you and receive some of your inspirational comments, what would be a good starting place for them to get in touch with you? Well, they can re reach me on sober together. Um, I'm always looking for people to, if you're yelling in the middle of the night, I'm going to pick you up around <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, I love can. it. I love it. Um, um, you can also reach me at, at, at my email address. I don't mind. Um, I, I don't mind talking about it at all. If you need to talk to somebody, um, 
I know I said that I, I wasn't sponsoring people, but I, I can talk for hours. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. We'll, we'll make sure to put that in the show yeah. notes so people can access that. And yes, Together Sober is a great way to get in touch with Vicki. She's a very active member. Yeah. Of and I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. So, well, thank you, Vicki, so much for your generous time today and your wisdom and just walking really, in my opinion, what it means to be in recovery. Um, you're stumbling, you're falling, you're, you know, going higher and higher and you're doing the work. So thank you for being such a testament to that. Um, additionally, listeners, if you feel like you have a story, if you feel like you have a resource that you would like to share with others, please know that we're always accepting applications for podcast guests. So you can just find that super easy on my website, louisebarnett.com, head to the podcast tab, fill out the application, and it would be such a pleasure to feature you on the podcast with your story as this is what we're doing. You guys, we are creating collective survival guides from our collective stories. It's such a powerful thing. And I'm so grateful for all of our podcast guests and especially Vicki today. Thank you so much. Thank for, you for having me. We will see everybody next week. If you're still listening right now, I'm going to assume that you really liked this episode. And if that's the case, can you please go ahead and rate and review the Together Sober podcast? What this does is organically puts the podcast into more listeners' ears, thus creating more lasting and effortless sobriety and mental peace for others.